Rolling Dice and Taking Names is sponsored by The Broken Token, creator of high-quality gaming accessories and storage solutions. Visit them online at thebrokentoken.com. Hey, y'all. It doesn't matter whether you're driving to work, exercising, or stuffing your face with moon pies. It's time for Rolling Dice and Taking Names. In this episode, the guys review commissioned, share their first experience with Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition, and discuss their thoughts on the Asmodee North new pricing structure. So take it away, guys. It's another episode of RDTN. This is episode number 89, Reverence. We are still a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, and your hosts are myself, Marty. And Tony over here. Now, Tony, I must ask you about this song, Reverence by Epica. Are you an Epica fan? Uh, you know, I do enjoy, our, I, well, you know, ever since we did the Viking theme songs and the Viking music, I do tend to have some strange music come up in the playlist every once in a while. But this one, this song title came from my search based on one of the topics we're going to talk about tonight. I'd never heard of the group or this song before. I went and looked it up. It's like, nice. Tony's listening to a little bit of metal over there. They are on my Amazon Prime playlist now, but it was, I typed in, I said, find me a song that has Slay the Dragon in it. And bam, Epica, Slay the Dragon song title popped up, which led me to a whole bunch of other stuff that night. So an hour later, down that rabbit hole, I went and I found <laughs> this song. It's very hard to understand the words, but I was watching one of the YouTube I don't know where what com- country this group's from, but my gosh, I didn't. They were talking a language, and then they started singing in English. And I was like, "Whoa, this is wild!" In a full orchestra, I was like, "Wow, this is impressive." Yeah, I'm into orchestra orchestral metal. Also, it's a European thing. I would assume that that's big over in the European, some of the European countries, like the Slavic countries and everything, mm-hmm. uh, like Finland and that sort of thing. So a lot of those groups tend to come from there. I wouldn't be surprised if they're somewhere in that area too. But anyway, that was that was a good choice. Tony, we got a fun show tonight. This is one of the most diverse shows we've done in a while. Why do you say that? Because it contains a review again? But I'm talking about the topics we're going to be talking about. Yes, we do We do have a review of a board game. Then uh, you and I decide to go experience for our first time playing in a D&D 5th edition game at our uh, local game store. And we're going to be talking about a hot topic that other people have talked about, the Asmodee new pricing plan that's being implemented in April. Right. Nothing like us being relevant and on time with topics. I mean... (laughs) (laughs) Or copying everyone else. I know. We gave our listeners homework to go out and check out the Gamma live stream from BGG. And I hope if you haven't gone and done that before we get to this topic, please go do that. Remember, that was on day one. It was hour four. 25 minutes where um, Anton Torres comes in and starts talking to W. Eric Martin. And so by all means, pause the show now, go watch and you'll be ready. And it's really interesting watching that. It's like Anton setting up to show off star Wars rebellion. Mm-hmm. And then Eric just like starts pounding him with all these questions. Anton's like, uh, well, I guess we're going to talk about this. Okay. <laughs> Yeah. Do you can you talk while you're setting up? Uh, <laughs> sure. What am I going to talk about? <laughs> Bam! Sledgehammer to the head. It was awesome. <laughs> That's right. But yeah, so we're going to get into that too. And you know, since we got three such great topics, why waste any time? Let's get over there to it. Sounds great. Our good buddy Greg Spence over at The Broken Token was kind enough to share with us his recent pictures of those incredible gaming 
shelves that he built in his house. But you people probably don't care about that. What you probably do care about is their latest addition to their insert line. And that would be for the Seven Wonders Duel game. Now, if you're like me, you're like, why do I need an insert for that? It has places for the cards that go in for Seven Wonders Duel. But if you sleeve them like I do, they don't slide back into the box very well, and they end up sliding around all over in the box, mixing up ages one, two, and three. So with this new broken token insert, it should keep them all together so you don't have to spend all that time sorting out the ages again. So go check them out at thebrokentoken.com. Well, guys, you asked for it. Here it comes, a review of Commissioned. Okay, you guys didn't ask for anything over at our BGG Guild. We put out a poll, said fill this out to give us some guidance on what you want to hear. And we listened to you because, well, that wasn't, we put out the poll. Maybe we should listen to you. I mean, that makes kind of sense. So you do it for us in a future episode. We might as well do what people want to hear, right? You might, Yeah, really. Well, not do say, yeah, we will care about your opinion. No, not really. But yes. So here it comes, the review of Commission. Marty, tell us a little bit about it. Commission is a game designed by Patrick Lysite. And I apologize if I say that wrong. This is published by uh, Char Games. This is a two to six player co-op game that has deck building mechanics, Tony, and you and I like our deck building games. And what's the, it's got that sweet spot of playing in just an hour. So you've already got a good player count. Two to six deck building, one hour at one hour. This is something I'm going to probably look forward to. The overall theme of the game is really kind of cool. It's an historical theme. It's based on the early apostles that are trying to spread the word of Christianity. So players work together in order to win by accomplishing tasks that are set for them by a, a one of five scenarios that you're going to play through. Tasks can be several things. You, you try to grow the church or collect the books of the New Testament or set a certain population in, in a city. It just depends on the scenario and what you're trying to do. But the entire time you're trying to overcome come trials and persecution that happens during this time. And the whole goal is you need to complete your assigned task before the trial deck runs out. And the trial deck is kind of like your built-in uh, game clock or the flames of the five candles are extinguished. And the candles of the five uh, candles are extinguished when a church that has been set up is gone. It's been removed. The population goes to zero. And when that happens, one of the candles are extinguished. So either one of those happens, you lose the game. So you need to try to complete your objectives before either one of those scenarios happen. Quite simple, real easy. For me, this is a very good game. I enjoyed playing it. I would not shy away from it if it comes out on the table again i would even you know possibly ask for it i thought you know overall it wasn't a heavy-handed game i'm not sure it'd be in my collection necessarily but i would definitely want to play it again what about you yeah you know due to this historical theme I do want to keep it in my collection because I think it's one that I'll pull down off the shelf every so often. I really enjoy playing these games that are based on actual things that's happened. Like I have the game Fields of Yarl, which is actually based on historical things that the uh, the, the designer's uh, family history went through. I just think it's kind of neat to be able to play a game and learn uh, something about history. Hey, a game being educational, that's kind of slick. So this is one I'm going to keep on my shelf and pull down every so often. So the game is fairly straightforward to set up. Like Marty mentioned, there's a trial deck. That's a timer. That's 21 cards. You've got to set that deck up. There's some hard cards that you can mix in, or if you want to play on the easy mode, you can just go with those 21 cards, randomly shuffle them up. Boom. Trial deck is set up. Next thing is you organize the four faith decks. Those are set aside. You will use those later when you need to purchase cards cards to put into your deck. It's not a deck builder unless you're 
buying other cards to put in your deck. Plain and simple. That's real easy. You then set up the map by either adding missionaries if you have less than six people. These are the NPCs that are part of the game that will help you grow your church to move people out. We'll explain what it means to be grow. So you've set up that deck based on the scenario that you're in. Boom. So you've got meeples on the board. Now, each player picks a character. These are the apostles from the time. And each of these characters all have a individual characteristic that is their beginning deck that you will draw from. So there, everybody picks an apostle, give it to them. They set up their starting deck. They get ready to go. And we're off and ready to go, Marty. What's next? The board game itself is of that uh, Middle Eastern region during the time of the uh, early century, you know, 100, 200 AD. So everything is set up and looks like the the countries and cities that were uh, set up back then. So to start the game, the first thing you do is do the arm phase, which is you're going to uh, shuffle up your deck and you're going to draw six cards. As Tony mentioned, you pick an apostle. Each apostle has a certain special ability and has a certain uh, type of card that's associated with each one. One may, may be able to help you call the deck. One may be able to help you get additional uh, people out on the board. And I do need to probably mention a definition real quick. When it talks about setting up a church, a church just means that in a city, you either have uh, any type of piece there. You have a follower, a cube. You have a meeple, which is a missionary. Or you have the pawn, which is the apostle. As long as one of those things there, then a church is set up. So that's the goal of the first scenario. We're kind of talking about how the first scenario works, which is try to get a church set up in every city, plus get all the books of the New Testament set up, which we'll also cover in just a second. So the first thing you're going to do is you're going to uh, draw your six cards, and then you're going to follow and do actions in order. First thing you're going to do, Tony mentioned the trial deck. Let's flip over that first card. The bad thing about the trial is it's bad thing that's going to happen to you. It could be persecution. It could be where that some of the members of your church are wiped out, or it could be that your apostle is imprisoned to where he can't move, or it actually maybe keeps you from moving. There's a movement phase we're going to talk about later on, and there's tokens on the board that could be put in a city that keeps you from moving out of that city, or they stop a population from automatically growing because there's going to be a growth, fa- growth phase later on. All those things are really bad. Oh, by the way, I also didn't mention there's a first player token that's called the elder token, Uh, The first player takes that because the elder has the important decisions on what they're going to do on their turn. Everybody's got their decks. They're ready to go. So what do you do with those cards? So you look through your hand of cards, your six cards, and you place one of those cards. If the game is more than three players, four players, five, six players, you place one of those on your apostle board face down so no one can see it. You do this in secret. If it's less than four players, two or three, obviously, then you will place two cards on your player board and everybody puts those face down. Once everybody has selected their cards they want on their board, you flip them over. These cards will give the elder the right to take actions. So from those cards, he will pick two of the ones laid down. From those, he can either decide, hey, do I want to take that action or this action? And discard the other cards. Maybe uh, someone placed down a card that says, hey, let's add a member to the church by putting a cube on the board. Or maybe someone added like John, who seems to be the man, he'll allow you to cull a card from the deck. Maybe you won't do that. Or later, as you buy more and more expensive cards, you may say, ooh, let's take that important action that allows us to go ahead and move some of the fellowship 
And it also allows us to add members. All the cars have various icons. Probably one of the things about the game, the icons, you got to get used to them. But what game doesn't have icons, you got to get used to. Once that's done, the elder decides what to do. And only in his region does this possibly take effect. Well, you know, during that phase, and you have an option of doing something else, you have an eight-sided die that's included in the game that if you want to make the game a little bit harder, uh, you can roll this message die. And basically, uh, there's a table that you look up in the book on, on what can happen to you. If it's if you roll a four through eight, uh, messages are good and coming through. You got good communication, so you can talk with everybody at the table. But if it's less than that, then it keeps people from being able to talk. And it says that you can't talk amongst yourselves. And if you roll like a one, which is really bad, you can't talk amongst yourselves and you actually lose some people off the board. So you talked about the share. So we've done that. Now it's time to move. There are two types of movement uh, in the game. There's a fellowship move and a mission move. Let's say, for example, like in the first scenario, we all start in Jerusalem and there's no other churches set up. So you need to do a uh, mission move. You want to move people into other areas to set up a church. The rule for mission is pretty simple. Four things must move. One of them must be an apostle or one of them must be a missionary. And when you do that and move to a new region, then you've set up a church. The other type of move is a fellowship move. And if you have two churches already set up, then cubes and people can move back between those as much as you want. So it's like a free travel between the two. And you get two moves during this time, but there are cards that you can buy and things that you can get that will increase the number of moves that you can make. Uh, right after that, then we go into the growth phase. You look at the board, every city that has at least a population of three, you can add one cube, one follower to that to grow the population by one. This is optional as there are a limited number of cubes that are available. So you might decide that, okay, maybe this area doesn't need anybody else. And I need to save some cubes for an area later on down on the board. You've got the Pray, share, move, grow phase. Once again, you rinse and repeat. You do that again until you get down to two cards in your hand. And at that point, the round is over. And that is where you take the value of those cards that is printed on it. And you say, oh, you add those together. And you say, hmm, now I'm able to buy from the four stacks or the four faith stacks and be able to pull those cards. If, for instance, you had four, you can buy two of the two, or you may just buy one of the four. That is a very important step. As you know, in any deck building game, it helps strengthen. Now, of course, these cards you can't see, like in some deck building games, or I can't think of anywhere you can't see the cards you want to buy. These are random. So it's not like, oh, I want to buy this one because that card's shown. No, it's all a random guess. Say, oh, I'll just pick from these two and hope I get the card. That's kind of different than most people are used to, Marty, from a deck building game. Yeah, it is. And we didn't mention when you do the rinse and repeat, you actually pass the elder token. So so the next person will then be the one making the decisions, how they're affected in that area. Yeah, but the, the buying mechanic is really kind of cool. And this is a part that really sets the game aside a little bit for me because typically in deck building games and Tony you and I just played Ascension today basically you just throw all your cards on the table and you just resolve them all right here right then with this one a card can have two things on it, two abilities basically something that you can use to buy another card or the ability of the card itself so you actually may want to save the higher priced cards that actually do more things for you to the end so you can get better cards but one thing that to consider remember when I talked about the books of the Bible the books are actually in the cards themselves 
the there's a three four different decks faith one two three and four and that's the values of them all the books are in faith two so you need to work through those faith two decks because an option is when you play that card face down uh, during the pray phase and then you flip it over to share the elder can choose one of those cards with some of the books of the bible and put them down on the board to say that uh, mission or that uh, task has been accomplished and you're trying to get all nine slots filled each slot has multiple books of the new testament written on it so the buying is very important uh, when it comes to that time, especially if you're trying to go through that faith two deck to get all the books that you need. And the part about putting them down in the share phase, one thing that's very important is if everybody who, when you're doing this secretly, puts down the similar actions, then, oh man, I mean, it's real easy. But sometimes those can be really hard decisions. So all of that, that is the neat aspect of the game. That is, for me, is a strong pro about this game. It's that picking of the cards, which ones I should use. That brings a lot of strategy to the game. Now, I can't imagine having that pressure on you as the elder if that dice were to be rolled and no one can talk to you. Could you just imagine those eyes staring you down as you hold up the cards, you know? Well, that's tough because remember when somebody else is the elder, you're basically playing cards that could potentially help them in their area. Mm -hmm. So you have to look at where they are and what's going on in their region. And maybe if you see that, uh oh, I see there's a mission stop icon where the elder is. I have a card in my hand that could remove it. You put it down and give the elder an option to remove that token if he wants to. Right. And then, oh, you put down a book. Oh, wait, that person puts down a grow. Oh, man, which ones do I pick? Oh, yeah. Excellent. Love that part about that. That's a great pro for me. And the board is laid out such that, you know, not everything is touching, but you actually have to make decisions on how to spread out the cubes. I mean, you have to get a boat over to an island to get to another land, or you can, if you go around the landlocked area or the land area, you may not have enough moves left. Because once again, there's 21 cards in the trial. So that to me is really a neat aspect of the game. Yeah, it's one of those things that some of the cards you can get actually increase the number of moves you can make, and those become very important towards the end game because there may be a time where two moves is not enough. You need three or four. So again, the, you have the option of helping the elder out, maybe playing one of those cards, which he can pick, which will give him an extra, extra move at the end. So I like I like my deck building games. I think this is a really good co-op deck building game, much in the vein of like a, a legendary games from Upper Deck. I do like the elder mechanic because it helps with the type A personality in that okay the elder decides you could just decide as a rule if somebody's kind of trying to make the decision just to play all right just say it the elder you have the final word and that's kind of the way it should be and kind of that's the way it is the idea is like you're giving these choices for the elder to make let them make it everybody else stay out of it you're leading this band of merry men across the desert go for it make it happen dude you're you're the one i'm with you there i like that mechanism as well now one thing i didn't like was the fact that when the trial deck, we always knew that there was no sunny beaches, that we knew that there's never going to be anything good. So I never had that anxiety of that card flipping over. Yeah, there was a slight bit of anxiety of, okay, so what is it going to do to us now? But I don't really consider that anxiety that you would have in these normal type of timer deck games. You know what I mean there? Yeah, no, I, I totally do. I think the thing that was a little bit uh, tough for me, especially in that first scenario, so many cubes are out on the board and the map gets really crowded to where uh, when you do the movement phase, you got to be really careful to make sure you don't accidentally pick up another cube from an adjacent city and move it and when you do the grow 
uh, where there's one cube added wherever there's at least a population of three. You got to remember, kind of systematically go, I'm going to grow here, 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 here. And then, because sometimes we got stuck and go, did I grow there? I can't remember if I grew there or not. So there's a lot of little management going on once so many cubes get on the board. And heaven forbid, you accidentally knock the board over or, or you know push the board. The other thing I didn't like, as a deck builder, I'm always looking for how to call my deck so I can get to the right cards at the right time. Now, we mentioned John. He has that capability. And there's a few cards in the Upper Faith decks that allow you to call. I think it's up to three cards out of your deck, out of your discard pile. However, that helps you get rid of those starting cards, which you don't need anymore, or those Faith One cards that aren't really helping because they only have a single action where these other ones allow you to add multiple, let's say, followers to the board. That to me, you know, was another downfall of the game. Yeah, I think we decided once you get like a lot of players on the board, one of them will probably take John just so you can have better deck management. Because with most deck building games, they usually have a mechanic where you get rid of stuff that you just don't need anymore so that you can get to the better cards. I tell you, when it comes to just my final thoughts on this game, a lot of people had said, or were curious, it's like, I'm going to be curious how you approach the theme of this game. Because some people feel like the theme is controversial. I don't think it's controversial at all. I don't, none of this was really in your face. This is a historical based game. It's basically taking place during the first uh, couple hundred years um, AD. Uh, what had happened were there were these actual guys, these apostles that were out there trying to go around the regions to uh, set up churches. That's really about it. It doesn't really get into a lot of religious stuff at all. It's just kind of what was going on at the, at the time. And I do have to give the creators of the game a lot of credit because they have a whole separate book called the Theme Appendix. And those trial cards that we mentioned and the different cards of the Faith deck, they actually go through those and explain why those are in there. Say, for example, one of the trial cards was somebody was imprisoned. They'll actually make reference, an historical reference to somebody who was imprisoned during that time. So they were trying to make it that the actual th bad things that happened to you during the game really happened uh, in real life during this time. So that is also neat. As you play the game, you can actually learn a lot about what was going on during that time. So for me, when it comes to theme, I think it worked really well, but it was definitely not an in-your-face thing, and it wasn't offensive at all. You do know that if you had kept your book from college when you took the history of the New Testament, you wouldn't have needed that. Uh, no, that, that is true. And it's interesting. We, both you and I took the, uh, the history of the new Testament in college. And it's funny how a lot of the stuff that we learned back then kind of applied in this game as to what was really going on. Exactly. I mean, we originally took it for the understanding the life of Brian, but now, Hey, look, it's coming back to us, man. I'm, I, <laughs> That's true. I mean, and it, well, no, we didn't. It was just after I took it, I realized, oh my gosh, this is where Monty Python got all the life of Brian jokes because it was all based on actual historical stuff that was going on during the Jewish community at that time. Yeah, and I know I'm a blasphemist because I'd like that over the Holy Grail. But my final thoughts on this, like I said at the beginning, it's a game that I would enjoy playing again. I may hold off on looking at adding it to the shelves until maybe they add some more scenarios to it, do a little expansion, maybe give us a new map. I don't know how they, they could, I see a lot of growth here, Marty. I mean, you have the history and all that. You could do that. The theme was not in my face and I appreciate you putting up with me when I was looking at you and saying, Hey Marty, you're not spreading the word fast enough over there, dude. You know, so 
I enjoyed the game. I had fun with the game as far as, but it could be anything. It could be the Roman spreading culture. It could be the Greeks spreading uh, the philosophy. It could be all these things. If you're offended by, by the, 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 the theme that's on here, you'll get past it. Cause like Marty said, it's about the history. So it could be the history of any of the things. And, or you could just look at it like, Hey, I'm pushing cubes across the board. And like I asked our, our, our guild members, there's other games like that. Like Nathan saying Great Fire of um, London. And then Phil Henderson and old drum Phil there. Notre Dame and Hansa Teutonic. Uh, okay, we, we need to look that one up, dude. Um, Quebec from Mr. Grizzly. Risley. Uh, some guy with his smart butt comment about, hey, how about commissioned? Oh, wait, that was you. And then, yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. And um, then, of course, there's always um, fire pile out there talking about El Grande, which I still want to play. But either way, the theme's not overbearing. It's not in your face. I enjoyed playing it. It's one that I would probably, you know, as they come out with expansions, probably add to my collection. But right now, I'm going to enjoy borrowing yours. Yeah, and and that's fine. Like I said, I I just don't see finding the theme offensive at all. It's just history. It's an historical based game based on fact which is kind of cool you can actually learn a lot from it so it is one of those things i will keep on my shelf because we may pull down every so often it's actually something my parents may enjoy because of the theme their church scores and everything and they actually might think it's kind of interesting it's like seeing the map and how uh the the different countries and stuff were laid out back then so yes i'm keeping it on my shelf i think it's a it's a very good game it does it has a you know a wide player number range from two to six and the, it's got really good components thick cardboard a nice printed board it just looks really good on the table so if this sounds like something that you're interested in again this is commissioned from char games it's in your favorite retailer so go check it out As you may have heard on our last episode, Ignacy came on to talk about some of the biggest games that were coming out from Portal this year. And the two that are coming very soon is one, 51st State, which we've been talking about, which is still available for pre-order. And the game that's going to be coming out of Origins that Tony and I are giddy about, Crazy Carts, because we hope our friendship can last through playing as a team on this game. But I cannot wait to play this game at Origins with six other people. Going to be a blast. So coming out first, 51st State, now available for pre-order. And coming out in June, Crazy Cards. Go check it out at portalgames.pl. Granted, Tony and I mainly talk about board games, but we're interested in other aspects of the hobby too. And one of those is actually role-playing games. Now, Tony and I don't play a lot of role-playing games, but we have played a lot of role-playing games, and that didn't make a lot of sense, does it? Let me try that again, in that we've played a lot of role-playing games, but we don't play role-playing games often. How was that, Tony? Does that make a little more sense? Yeah, I'm, I'm there with you. Sorry for the pause. I was still working on what you were trying to say. So, we, <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, we we play them. We've dabbled in them. I would love to do them more than what we have. I'd love to find one and stick with it. So that is why I let you talk me into going over to our local game store and encountering Dungeons and Dragons 5th Edition. That's right. This is the edition that came out in 2014, and neither one of us had tried it, 
And we were just curious to see, hey, how does it compare to other systems that we've played? And Tony, over the past several years, we've played several systems together. Uh, we've played Iron Kingdoms together. Uh, we've played Shadowrun. I've experienced some other ones like Pathfinder and Savage Worlds. And Into the World you're doing or something like that? Into the World. That's the one I couldn't remember. Yeah, so that's the other one. So it's one of those oh, things. Whoa, 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 whoa. Of, Mar- what, what, what? Marvel RPG, the original. Yeah, that's going back many, many years. I was just thinking recently. Oh, oh my bad. So there you go. Yeah, so we don't play RPGs a lot. Do we don't get to, but we've tried several of them. So here's the thing. We wanted to try out Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition approached from a casual player, which is what we are. Is this game accessible? Is it one of those that we would recommend to others who haven't played in RPGs? Or maybe they are experienced and should they try it out too? Now, a lot of you, if you're playing RPGs, probably have tried out Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition. So let's talk to those that maybe haven't. So Tony, we showed up at our game store on a Wednesday night, and this was for D&D Encounters, which is supposed to be like the shorter time type scenarios that take one or two nights in order to fulfill. And when we got there, there was about 40 people there ready to play some D&D. Oh my God, it was loud. Oh my heavens. I wish I had some leave. Uh, old men should not go into loud stores, okay? <laughs> I count. I think there were eight games going on at one time. It was. It was unreal. And our local store owner, uh, Timothy, he took us aside. He gave us some overviews, some history. It was awesome. He did a great job. I appreciate him. But I know this is a side note, Marty, and we don't want to take too much time here. I was very disappointed when he told us what was going on with their support that's been pulled. Yeah, so I think originally the encounters and everything was set up to where Wizards was going to actually provide them with material to use for Wednesday nights, and they've pulled that. Uh, that, that just floors me. Here's a man who's got 40 people. They're looking to play. They're looking to... I mean, if you get them hooked, oh my gosh, what are they going to do? They are going to buy more stuff. They are going to come in the store and buy more encounter books. They are going to want to dwell into the history, which could lead to reading the novels that have been out there forever. Why would you do that? It it makes no sense to me. But either way, Timothy, thank you for sharing this experience with us. So we sat down at a table. Our quest, our goal, we had our GM there. I had a level one fighter. Marty, I don't know who your guy was. It was a level one dwarven clerk. Uh, cl- clerk. It was a clerk. <laughs> That's what it was. He worked at like Best Buy. Yes. <laughs> he, he, he had the he had the uh, geek shirt on. He was good to go. He was, he was part of the geek squad. Yeah. It was a level one cleric, which I tend to play clerics a lot. I don't know. I just, I kind of like the, the cleric because it has a little bit of fighting and just a, a little bit of magic. These were pre-gen characters. So we did not walk through the process of actually creating a character. But I do have the player's handbook that uh, came out for D&D 5th. And creating a character is also pretty straightforward. But again, if you're not into that, you can sit down with the pre-gen. And Tony, the character sheet's pretty easy to follow. Oh, yeah, it was straightforward. But we were so low tech. We had a character sheet. Everybody else around had these incredible apps on their phone that they were flibbling with and things like that. Boys, this is pen and paper here. (laughs) Yeah, a couple of them are like, yeah, we're not pen and paper. And so they have these nice apps for tracking their stats and everything as, as they as they play, I kind of like the, the pen and paper to be able to write and draw and everything. And it's one of those things when you do play pen and paper, it's not 
pen, bring a pencil because you're going to have to erase a lot of stuff. And across the table from us, we had the Elvin brothers that were here. They were part of it. They had just started their journey last week. And then across Alna at the heads of the table, we had these two dragon guys. Dragonborn. Dragonborn, which I'm still trying to figure out what the heck that was, but that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We play with some uh, other lower uh, level characters. But what's so cool is everybody was really cool in the group. We told them this is our first time playing. Everybody was cool with it and it helped us out, but it really didn't take a lot to get into it because as I've said, we have dabbled in RPGs before. And if you have, it's easy to pick up. But Tony, it's one of those things that if you have it, I still think it'd be easy to pick up if somebody's sitting there kind of holding your hand through it. Right. I, I agree with you. I mean, so you're sitting here listening to a guy tell you a story. And I will say this, Marty, I'm going to go ahead and point out the GM makes the game. There's no doubt about it. A good GM will definitely engross you. Take, I mean, he'll bring you into the story and he will make your experience memorable and want you to come back. And unfortunately, with all the noise in there, it kind of was lacking for us. But I mean, if I had someone from like Wallowitz on the Big Bang when he did the voices, that'd be awesome. When the GM gets into it and does the voices and just sets up a beautiful story for you, it's so much easier to get into. So it's one of those things, it's, maybe it's unfortunate, but it's like your whole experience can be ruined or made with the GM. And even the guys, that even though they were cool for us, we had the uh, Link over there, you know, Legend of Zelda guy smashing all the barrels trying to find the rupee or whatever. Oh, yeah. We had this one guy, no matter what we did, he always wanted more money. Can we get some more money for it? Can we go over here and sell this? It's like, please, let's just go. But, you know. That was that was his thing. His thing was about making as much money as possible. So he he was doing his role playing. Now in the scenario that we played, there was definitely a lot more role playing than combat. We played for over three hours, and I think what we only had two combats the entire time. Yeah, two or three, two or three max, and felt like you know you're you're investigating this lost book, and you're trying to find these books. And I'm, I'm sitting there thinking, man, if, if he doesn't give us to fight something, because I will say this, Marty, and all the ones we've played, it seems like people are always, who can I hit? doesn't matter what system you're in. It's who I can hit. And how did Dungeons and Dragons fifth edition change that? Well, I found the bat, the battle fairly straightforward and from what i've done in the past it didn't really change that much yeah and i actually talked to some others that played some of the D fourth edition i said how do you find the two that are different because you never not and you and i never played the fourth and they said this, the combat's a lot simpler it usually moves a lot quicker also fourth edition was very much more like a tactical game you remember when we played iron kingdoms and we had the map out and we actually had rulers out measuring are we within distance and everything D D four i've uh, heard relied on a lot of that where you needed maps and so it took a lot of time for the combat here it's going back to the old everything's in your head it's your imagination the dm decides for you whether you're close enough or not you don't need to be pulling out rulers and trying to measure and everything and the combat just is more fluid and moves quicker as opposed to having a fight that may last an hour maybe you can knock this thing out in in 20 minutes and the combat is really straightforward you roll a d20 you add your attack you tell the DM uh, what was rolled. He'll tell you whether you hit or not. And then this is where it's kind of a little bit different. Everybody may have different uh, weapons. 
weapons. And it says right here on the sheet, where well, you roll this dice, add this number, and that's how much damage is dealt. Really straightforward. Now, and I will say this, Marty, that I think from my standpoint, because of us being in the War Machine arena and, and having played Iron Kingdoms, when we ask the question, hey, are we close enough? Yeah, you're close enough. You know, that kind of at first didn't set well with me because I'm like, oh, what's our formation? Who's going to get hit? You know, he's like, oh, he's attacking you. Well, why? Maybe uh, maybe I'm in the back. Maybe I'm hiding behind the eight foot dragon guys. Okay, maybe I'm I'm behind them trying to, you know, dodge all this. Now he's just attacking you, man. He can see you. I'm like, oh, really? You prefer more of a tactical thing where you actually see a map? I think so. I think for me, and I, I don't know if it's just because of the visualization, my in, inability to imagine, um, that may be why. Or it could be the fact that I'm coming from the war machine, you know, having to see the tactical. Now, were you okay with that? I was. I can see advantages to both sides. I do feel like if you remember back to the Iron Kingdom's combats that we did, they did drag on for a while. Oh, yeah. To the point, like, just let's just finish this. I do think if you don't worry about that stuff, the DM can has a little bit more control of if he feels it going long, then he can kind of adjust it and say, let's go ahead and end it now. And if he hasn't got to worry about positioning and tactical stuff, he can probably pull that trigger a lot quicker than what you might normally could. I think maybe there's that fine balance. So maybe a little bit more tactical, but that's what the GM's for. That's where he can bring that game. So that, so I do appreciate that in, in the Dungeons & Dragons. We were playing, hey, roll. Did you hit? Yeah. Roll damage. Let's move on. You killed him. Oh, that's really cool. For the non-combat stuff, again, very straightforward. Typical D20 type thing. If you want to do a check, you roll a D20 and you say, uh, let's say you have a perception check. You roll a D20, add whatever your perception is. You tell the DM what you got and he'll tell you whether you succeed or not. Again, that part is very standard. But at this part, you're role playing. You're trying to figure out the story. And you as the player has to get invested into it or you're not going to have fun with it with it either. And with the D&D, the new thing they have added too, which is kind of neat in the storytelling element, is the five factions that they added. And at the beginning, that's one of the things Tim was telling us about. It was about these five factions that exist in the world. And when you pick a character, you could pick one of the factions to belong to. And it actually came up during our game. I remember that we picked uh, the Order, which was like the the, uh, police Mm -hmm. or the do-gooders of the group. And during the game, the DM said, is anybody part of this faction? And we said, we were. He said, well, since you are, this NPC is going to talk to you and share some information with you. That's kind of cool because it helps kind of build your character out. And also when you're part of a faction like that, if you do something as a part of your faction, you might can use influence or gain influence within that faction to where you can like move up with that in that faction and become more, more valuable or move up in the ranks. And I agree that that was really neat. And I'm glad we're the do goodies or the good do gooders. Either way we were out there and that was kind of a neat aspect. Now, don't get me wrong. I, I think for people, is if you have a very good group and you haven't tried this, give it a try. I mean, it may be something you really enjoy. I'm sure anyone listening to this has. So go back, maybe give it a try because the history is there. Oh my gosh, so much D&D history. And what you and I are really interested in, and maybe we can get a group to form up is when the Lord of the Rings type version comes out on this, you know? It was just announced that uh, recently that Cubicle 7, who does the uh, Middle Earth uh, RPG right now, has go- is going to be licensing the D&D 5th edition engine from Wizards. 
and basically bringing that engine into the Middle Earth realm. And that's going to be coming out later this year. And I am so excited to play that because it brings in all the elements. Oh, one of the elements that I forgot to mention was in the fifth edition, there's this new advantage disadvantage mechanic to where if you are an advantage, you actually roll two D20s and take the higher number. If you're at a disadvantage, you roll two D20s and take a lower number. So that's also a little bit of an, a new mechanic too. And it's one of those things that, like you said, if you've never played an RPG, if you've never, ever, ever played, the easiest one is probably going to be the end of the world RPG because you're playing as yourself. And you kind of look around and pick what weapons and stuff that you're going to use. So you ain't got to worry about mystical powers. And it's not as crunchy. There's not as many attributes or anything to worry about. So that if if I was going to say if you play for your very first time, that might be a good one to play. But beyond that, I probably would point towards D&D 5th over something more that's just as popular like Pathfinder. Because Pathfinder has so many books. And there's a few more rules that you have to worry about. That's what my sons play. And I'm jealous of them because they have a steady group. Uh, my oldest son in college has a group where they play every single week. And I think that's really cool. But that's their thing. But if you're not get, just getting into it because there's such a history and lore of D&D, D&D 5th is now a good one to jump into. And because it's so new, there's not that many books out. You could just buy the, buy the player's guide and you're set for a while. And then when it comes to the encounters and the way I would do it, you maybe find some old ones and there's a ton of stuff online, kind of mock it up if you're the GM, but yeah, but Marty, I will admit, I am very excited for the Lord of the Rings one just because it doesn't have all that heavy magic in it. I'm, I'm really excited and hopefully maybe we can get some people to show up in Charlotte and we can have a steady once a month group come in and play with us. And uh, you know what? Hey, for the first year, I'll GM everything. Oh, okay. You've heard it's on record here, everyone. Everyone that's here in Charlotte that might want to play with us. Tony is on record and will and will GM for one year. So we got him on the hook for one year. You know, I was talking about uh, games that uh, would be good to start with. Let me tell you one that do not start with. Do not start with Shadowrun Fifth Edition. Oh my gosh, I love that world. I love the cyberpunk, but the Shadowrun rules. Are, will just absolutely blow your mind. There's so much there on how the combat and everything works. So if you're wanting to start out, do not start with Shadowrun. <laughs> start with something a little bit easier. But yeah, hopefully, Tony, when the Middle Earth comes out later on this year, we'll pick up a book. And like you said, maybe we can get a regular play group going. So you, as a casual player like us, you want to check it out, Go to your local game store and see if they're running the Wednesday night encounters. It's a great way to sit in, kind of learn how the system works without really investment, any investment at all. You don't have to buy a book. They'll give you a pre-gen and you're ready to go. I hope you took notes on your homework assignment. I told you to go out and watch the Gamma live stream from BGG and pay attention to what Anton Torres was saying about the fancy flight distribution model because I've gone back and I've watched it a couple of times and Marty, I don't know about you. My first gut reaction was what are you guys really saying here? Cause there were a few things that just popped out at me. So what was your initial gut reaction? My gut reaction actually began earlier in the year when Christian Peterson was interviewed just about this and about how some changes are going to be made uh, to their markets. And this is actually covered over an IC 
was it icv2.com? Yes, icv2.com, the area where we all go get our local news. Yeah, that, that's right. It's it's a site that we've used forever. We we really enjoy. But their thing is 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 they're seeing that there is they seem to see there's an unfair advantage between online retailers and brick and mortar. In fact, here here's a quote that uh, Christian said. He said, "I believe business partners who provide services and investments that we value relative to others who do not should receive." proportional compensation from us so that they may succeed and continue in such activities. In comparison to, for example, the online channel of sales, most specialty retailers make investments in areas we consider critical to the health and growth of the gaming hobby, such as a local presence, instant product availability, new customer generation, and crucial in-game store events, demonstrations, tournaments, and organized play facilitation. So what he's saying is, is that all the brick and mortars are providing all these services for people, a place to play, events to come in and participate in and product to buy. Whereas online retailers are only providing you with the product to buy. Christian saw that as being unfair and kind of wants to level the playing field. And then uh, at the 428 mark on the BGG thing, Anton goes on to say, you know what? Online people don't bring in new people in the hobby. I'm going to throw a flag right there. Oh, here we go. Here I'm we go. sorry. I agree with what I understand what Christian is saying. And we talked to our local store owner about this, but here he's saying online people don't bring new people in the hobby because they don't have a way to test it. They don't have a way to play it. All right. If you're a new player and you don't have a brick and mortar store in your place and somebody brings a game to your local, oh, I don't know, to your house and they play a game with you or something. What are you going to do? You're going to have to go buy it that way. And that's the only way you can get it. And that is the structure of commerce today. So that's my first gut reaction. I'm like, that's bull crap. Here's a flag. Online does bring new people into the hobby because it's their only way to get the game. And maybe they go out. Yeah, maybe they're not helping the brick and mortar. Now I'm not trying to defend the online. I'm just like, don't say crap like that. Yeah, and it's one of those things that we've talked about actually in our game club, Tony. We've talked about uh, with the people who run the game club about having events at the game store. They are totally against that because they don't see the game store as friendly to people who may have never played games. That's why all of our meetups are like at restaurants that's a little more comfortable for new people to come and play. So new people will come to our meetup groups learn how to play games, and where are they going to go? They're going to probably go online and buy some stuff. A lot of people who are, aren't into this hobby at all will probably never walk into a game store. Another prime example, at my uh, job right now, on Tuesdays and Thursdays, I'm, during lunch, I'm doing what I call team building exercises, where I bring some games and teach people how to play. These people would never step into a game store, but after just a couple weeks of playing, I've had a couple people come up to me and say, so where can I get like for sale or something like that? And I said, we could get it at the game store online. Sweet. They went and bought it online. That's maybe the only place they have it because your local game store, you could go order it from your game store if they're near the game store. I I agree with you there. Now, I will say this, and I understand that they don't want to give precedent to the people who only have online because they're able to leverage the game store. Because, you know, Timothy, our local game store guy mentioned this. He will spend time with people, you know, spend 30, 40, an hour hour worth of time with them and the next time they come in they go you know you are absolutely right that's a great game why did well why didn't you buy it here 
And I understand that. I completely do that. And I, and I understand why that happened. I, I don't disagree with what they're doing with their new model. It's just some of the things they said, you know, that he went on and said about it just struck me as wrong. Tim, the uh, store owner told us his biggest losses were from spending that amount of time with people that will not buy on the store. They will just go online and buy it somewhere else. He does kind of see this as something that could potentially help him. Now, you mentioned uh, things that were said that you don't necessarily agree with. Let me tell you one that Anton said uh, in their interview that I'm just not really seeing. Did you catch the part where he referenced what Christian had said that he would rather somebody pay $100 for a game in a store as opposed to buying four games online for 100 bucks. You wouldn't be referencing the mark around four hours and 32 and 30 seconds, I think, is exactly where they are gorging on it. I actually, that's exactly right. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I caught that. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you there. Another flag was thrown at that time. Yeah, I, I'm not buying that at all, Tony. I, I just don't see how you can say that somebody, the, the whole gist was that if you buy a game discounted for $75, it will have less value to you than if you bought it for 100 Personally, I don't work that way at all. No, I don't either. The value is not in how much I pay. It's the value in getting playing it with my friends. Oh, you bought four games. You're not going to play, which he later mentions in the article. You're not going to play. You're going to let them sit on the shelf and only get to play that one. If you're really wanting to play and invest in that, you're willing to drop that C note. You're willing to put that on the table and you will play it because you invested your hard dollars into that game. No, I'm going to play something that's fun and it's going to create an enjoyable experience for me in my game. Let me tell you, there are some things that they've produced that pfft, I got no value in it. And I put money in it and there's no value and it's still sitting on my shelf. Yeah, so that's another one that was kind of like, guys, I understand you're wanting to try to level the playing field with the brick and mortar. But some of the stuff and the reasons behind it just did not float with me. And, and that was that was a big one for me. And then soon after that, the person that was interviewing Anton started comparing it to the comic book industry. And I had an issue with this, too, because remember, uh, Tony, last year, you and I had a whole discussion on will the game hobby go the way of the comic book uh, comic book industry did in the 90s. But the reasons why we said it are totally different from the reasons why why Anton and them said it. Oh, I agree with you. And that is at the four hour and 35 minute mark. That they are talking about that. That that analogy had nothing to do with this. It baseball cards, the the demise of the baseball card market, the demise of of the comic book. You know, the big implosion there, where you've got all this stuff that you can buy real cheap. That has nothing to do with it. That's not the whole point of that. No, the whole thing with the whole comic book industry, and the baseball card industry, is because everything we were glutted with the stuff. There was special rares and all these special versions to chase down. Our whole argument was uh, with. Comparing the game hobby to the comic book industry was not that you could get stuff cheap. It was that there was so much stuff that it just fell in upon itself, which is kind of what happened with the comics in the 90s. Right. I agree with you there. And it's and then to make the point that it's the value, that people were buying the comics for the value. And I agree. They were speculating on, oh, in a couple of years, I can sell it. Yeah, I got a box of Spider-Mans up there. There are some that are worth a lot, but I'm not, I don't care. My daughter's going to have to deal with those. 
I'm not buying my shelves of board games for value. I don't anticipate being able to sell them 10 years from now to fund my retirement. That's just stupid. I'm not doing that. So just tell me that the, you're doing this to help control the value of the game, which is what I took from this argument. That's, that's BS. That ain't right. No, no, that's, that's another one. It's like, yeah, I, you can't make a fair comparison there to personally. Again, this is our opinion. We, Tony and I may be totally wrong. We're coming at this from just a game consumer. We've heard this stuff and this is how we're personally reacting to it. Christian and Anton obviously knows how the business works a lot better than we do. It's just how we perceive what they're saying. Exactly. But it is our opinion. And generally, as our wives will tell you, it's wrong. <laughs> it is. So uh, let's talk about it real quick. Tony and I talked with the game store owner. Uh, let's see. I said, okay, have you seen how the pricing is going to be changed? And he has. This was as at the end of March. He is now saying that some of the benefits that he sees from this is same prices across distributors. And we ask, what did you mean by that? He said that there were multiple distributors he could buy FFG or Asmodee or Days of Wonder games from, and they offered different values of discounts. Maybe one was a 46%, one a 47%. They said that what Asmodee North has now done is make it flat across the board. You get the same discount regardless of who you order from. He appreciates that because now instead of trying to look for the cheapest one to buy from, he, it doesn't matter anymore. He can buy from whoever he's the most uh, comfortable with. Another thing is he sees the same pricing structure for all brands. So again, he was seeing like one pricing discount structure for FFG games as opposed to Days of Wonder. But now since they're all under um, one umbrella, they are all flat and the same across the board. And so we asked after talking to him, Tony, we said, okay, do you feel good about this? He said, it's not worse for me. He said, it's a little bit above neutral. He said, it's a little bit better. I might could see a benefit if the prices do go up on online stores, maybe that will drive some more traffic his way, but he's not expecting to see a lot. Yeah, and I, I appreciate that. So Marnie and I are saying don't go out and support your local game store because we do. We can completely agree with that. And it's one of those things where, you know, convenience, time. Yes, if I'm going to put together a big order, then and get free shipping. Maybe that's good. I don't have to pay store taxes or whatever. I mean, state taxes. Oh, you didn't hear that state of North Carolina. If I'm taking the time of my store owner, I will, for instance, walk in there and I will buy. He's ordered games for me and I appreciate it, especially ones that I won't, that I have gotten the opportunity to play there. He was our constant supplier for Android Netrunner. He was that guy. Yeah, he was. Man, it's interesting though, that after we hear uh, some of the pricing uh, that the owner was telling us about that going back to that article that I referenced where Christian was interviewed, he said at the end of the interview, in summary, for sound and fair reasons, we want to grant additional discounts to the brick and mortar specialty retailer for the unique work they provide while not granting those discounts to the online specialty retailer, given the fact that they are not providing the same services or making the same investment. Well, Tony, the thing is, from what Tim told us, it doesn't sound like he's getting any additional discounts anywhere. No, he's just getting a stable price and he can buy it from anywhere to get it in his store in a quicker amount of time. He doesn't have to shop around and wait for the best price. We're probably not seeing everything under the covers, but it sounded like from this statement, like, okay, we're going to give the brick and mortars a better deal. 
and it doesn't sound like they are. It's just they're kind of flattening it out. But what Tim did tell us, he has heard that the online stores won't get as deep of a discount anymore. What's happened is, is that's going to mean more money for Asmodee, and that's fine. They're a company. They're producing a product. They have got to, um, they're an investment group at the very top, so they've got to make sure the shareholders are happy. That's fine. I have no issue with that. But it's just some of the lines that they've given us for the reasons why I just wasn't buying. So, Tony, what's interesting is just today, Privateer Press has announced something along the same lines. What they're going to do is they've noticed that some online retailers are deeply discounting some of their products. Like, And Privateer Press makes uh, war machines and hordes. That's basically what they're known for. And they're saying that they're finding some online retailers that are discounting too much thus hurting the brick and mortar stores where they run events and everything. So they're going to create a list of people called free riders. And if you're on this list, it means that you're offering too much of a discount and we're going to start delaying product that's shipped out to you. And this is going to be a list they constantly visit and change and modify over the course of time. So it's a little bit different from our pricing structure, but it's almost like they're maybe blacklisting is the wrong word, but they're looking for people that's offering just too much of a discount. And I think that's odd too. If people want to offer a deep discount, that's going to mean it's less margin for them. They're taking on the risk. So here I was thinking, you know, is Asmodee going to be the only one that does this? Nope. Just today, we now see that other people, it looks like, are going to be attacking the online t- retailers that give big discounts. You're absolutely right, Marty. When you sent me that, I'm like, you got to be kidding me. So what you're telling me is you're going to go punish Miniature Market because they put your Mountain Troll on sale, deeply discounted, because guess what? You've released an additional update. Everybody who wants it has gotten it. I mean, how are you going to monitor that? Are you going to go out and, you know, I know they've got algorithms that can go out and hit all this stuff. This just makes no sense to me, people. None. Because because let's say you design something crappy and they buy it to try to sell your product online and it doesn't sell. What, do you want them to keep it on the shelves or you're going to punish them? That makes no sense. Full disclosure, Miniature Market was not one they was given an example. They did not say what stores they're talking about. Right. So Miniature Market made out. Tony was just make, giving an example. Right. So we don't know who it is, what they're going to say, but, you know, and they're not going to release this. I don't think, I don't say you'll go to the website and see the big scarlet FR. (laughs) You've been branded. You're a free rider. To each his own. That's, that's how it wants to go. And other people will probably, I don't blame them. I understand you've got to protect the people who are pushing your product and that is your local game store. So guys, here's our plug for your local game store after all this discussion, but still just tell us the truth. Don't sit there and try to BS us. Marty and I have been around a long time. (laughs) We can smell it. And we know what you're doing. Yeah. And and again, that's fine. You want to help your, I mean, maybe at the core, they are trying to help the brick and mortar. That's fine. But you notice helping the brick and mortar wasn't giving them a deeper discount. It was basically uh, removing the discount from the online retailers. So it's not like the margins of the brick and mortar is going to go up any at all, but the margins is going to go into Asmodee North's pocket is, and again, that's their business. That's their prerogative. Just some of the lines that they're given just doesn't float with Tony and I as game consumers. Or just consumers at all. There you go. Three very diverse topics. A game review. 
our feelings toward Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition, and us whining about the new Asmodee North pricing policy. I don't know if we were whining about the policy. It's just making it say, guys, we're grownups. We can take the truth. Give it to us straight. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, it's like the comic books. That's the one that just really kind of got my go. Because it's so funny that you and I had this long discussion about this last year. It, exactly. All the three covers of Abyss, will that ruin that game? No, it's, who cares? I don't care which cover. <laughs> it don't matter to me. Good gosh. So anyway, well, guys, we really hope you enjoyed the, the show. And thank you so much for helping direct us towards the right game to review. Another one of those will be coming soon. Uh, yes, it will. And I can't wait to see what's on the list and what we're going to get to talk about. Yeah, me too. I might want to think about that. <laughs> <It's okay. laughs> right, right now, we've got no, no clue what to even list. I don't know what we're doing. But, you know, um, as always, do me a favor. Just keep rolling dice. And taking names. Thanks for listening to RDTN. Follow us on Twitter at Dyson Names. Visit our website, RollDiceTakeNames.com. Subscribe to our YouTube channel, Roll Dice Take Names. Visit our BGG Guild. Like us on Facebook. So, Marty, do you think in the mail that Star Wars Rebellion review copy will be showing up soon? I think the response to that will be somewhere between no and heck no. In a future episode, you'll get to hear Marty and I give you a review about a game called West of Africa. If you head over to funagaingames.com, you can get your pre-order in now. It's due out in late spring, early summer, and be sure that every game you buy over there helps you towards being a prime member over there that gives you even more discounts for future releases. Once again, go to funagaingames.com for all your pre-order needs.